Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. When I used to be a printer, I'd often talk to people in our workplace about the Bible and they couldn't make sense of it because they were trying to read it from here, not from here. It's a book of revelation and mystery. And in this book, there is the revealed heart of the Father for all of creation and particularly as it rises to a climax in the last days, which we are in. God gave mankind a lease on the earth, and we find that in the first two chapters of the Bible. God assigned to the earth approximately six to 7,000 years. And each creation day gave us an insight into what would take place throughout creation. And in the last days, we see that God is going to do an amazing work in his church, getting the church ready to be the bride of Christ. So we're not a misfit. So when we walk down the aisle with Jesus, the bride and the groom match. That we are, we have been raised to the fullness of Christ. We're not, it's not like a bride coming down the aisle and the dress is dirty and full of holes and she's got no makeup on and her hair's a mess. No, the bride and the groom will be equal in stature. That's the mind of the Father. He wants to present the bride to Jesus as a reward for all his suffering. And so to do that, the church has to have an expanded view of what it means to be the bride of Christ or what it means to be a believer. And the reality is that, and this is not a negative, but this is just what it is, that the majority of believers have no concept of what God wants to do in their life and how he wants to prepare them to be equal in stature to Jesus himself. I'm not saying that they are the second member of the Trinity, but equal in stature. They've come up to the fullness, the measure of Christ. They've expanded in their understanding of what it means to be a son and daughter of God. I hope that makes sense. So in the we're in the third day and... And I've talked about that before and given you references for that. But John particularly, as you read his epistles, he has three epistles. He's the only one that writes three books because he is a picture of the third day church. When Jesus took Peter, James and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, it was a picture of what he would do in the first, second and third day. John is a picture of the third day church. He's the one that comes alongside Jesus and put his head on Jesus' chest. He's the one that was so close to the heart of Jesus. He's the one that Jesus said to Peter, what is it to you if he remains till I come? That's us, the church that remains when he comes again. We're the church that get right alongside the heart of God and we go from a mindset of what's in it for me, save me, deliver me, fill me, change me, bless me. And we progress in our maturity so we place our head on the heart of Jesus, and we say, what's on your heart for the nations? What do you want to do? What's, what, you know, and and I hope I don't offend anyone today, but, but it's even in the mindset of how we relate to the Father. Have you noticed that, that churches, in every church I've gone to, people come late to church because worship is about Him, and the Word is about us? I wonder what would happen if we turned it around the other way. Now, I know there are reasons why we get to church late, but it's, it's the mindset of it's all about me, not about him. What's on your heart? How do I worship you? How do I please you? How do I come in union with you? What do you want to do through me? So it's a shift. In Mark chapter 8, I'm going to get to our text in a minute, but in Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds the 4,000. And they'd been with him for three days. So it's a picture of the end times, the end time church. And he comes to the 4,000. And these 4,000 people are incredibly hungry. They haven't eaten. And four is an amazing number because it's a picture of earth or creation. But four is also a picture of the end times because the fourth watch is the last watch. So, and a thousand in the Bible is always a picture of nations. Whenever you see a thousand or 
multiples of a thousand, God is speaking to us about nations. So 4,000 is the end time nations. So this whole picture of Jesus feeding the 4,000, they've been with him for three days. There's all these pictures of Jesus saying in the last days, there's going to be an incredible hunger for me in the kingdom. There's going to be a hunger right through the nations. And we see that now there's a stirring. There is there is so many questions out there. There's so much spiritual activity. And he comes to the disciples and he says, what do you have to feed them? They said, we have seven loaves. And seven is the number of fullness. And, and, and in these days of great spiritual hunger, the church is going to get a revelation of the fullness of Christ. They will be living in the fullness and have something to feed the world and much left over. And so what God is doing today, he is positioning his church to feed the hunger that is rising up in the nations of the world. In the end time nations, there will be such spiritual hunger. And we will walk in the fullness and feed that. But to do that, we're going to have to have a revelation of God's end time plan. And it's much more than just getting people saved. That's the starting point. Luke 11, 5. Do you remember I read, from you, read that scripture to you the other week? And I am getting to my text. Luke 11, 5. Just quickly flick over to that. Here's a story where... Jesus tells this story about a man who has a friend and he goes to him at midnight, the end times. And he says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come from a journey and I've got nothing to set before him. Remember, I told you that that is a picture of the Holy Spirit speaking to the church and saying, I want you to give me three loaves because I've got a friend coming from a faraway place and I want to feed him when he comes. It's the Holy Spirit saying to the church that Jesus is coming from a long way away. He's in heaven and he's about to come to take his church and he wants something in return for when he comes. He wants to be fed and nourished from the church. So the Holy Spirit is preparing this uh, a banquet for Jesus when he comes. But this man's in bed. He's asleep. He's with his child. He says, don't bother me. I'm asleep. I'm too busy with my life. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a holiday to go to. I've got my life planned out. You would ruin my life if you came back just now. In fact, I believe that many of the, much of the church thinks that way. The rapture would be a divine interruption. Because <laughs> I've got so much to do. I've got, I've got plans. I've got, and we say no, but we don't live like that. We don't like, live like he's coming back tomorrow. We've got so many plans about what we're going to do and how we're going to live. And so the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of hearts of people and saying, be prepared. I, I, want, I want to give something to Jesus. Get your life right. Begin to position yourself. Grow up, mature. Start to think about bigger things than just yourself. And he's persistent. The man says, no, I'm in bed with my children. Children are a picture of inheritance and promise. I've got a life to live. I've got things I want to, I want to do. I'm focused on myself. And the Holy Spirit says, you may be, but I'm going to keep knocking because I am committed to getting the bride ready for when Jesus returns. And they'll be ready in the fullness, not just saved, but they're going to go from children to sons to fathers. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to do it, but he is persistent and he is able and he is a powerful Holy Spirit who will get the job done. He will transform us. I know some of you look at your life and think, how could God transform me? But he will transform you because you are part of the last days. You are part of the end time church. God has faith in you to get the job done. And the Holy Spirit's going to keep working. What do you think he was doing today? during worship. He's stirring our hearts to upgrade our thinking so we begin to see nations. We begin to think about fathering, about sonship, not just staying as children, but we'd get a bigger view of what God wants to do. I'm here to encourage the church to get out of a mindset of introspection, of personal survival, of sitting in, 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 in such smallness and beginning to think bigger, seeing what is on the heart of God. Yeah. 
I know we'll have our personal struggles and trials. I'm not demeaning them. They are very real and there are places where we need to be restored and healed. But that shouldn't be the story of our life. God wants us to progress, to mature, to move on. This is on the heart of John when he writes his three epistles to prepare the church for the coming of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, he is coming. He is coming. That wasn't just like a, I may come, I will come. And my bride will be ready. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to leave you alone. I didn't tell you that when you got saved. But it's not just about a ticket to heaven, but it is a ticket to personal transformation. And he will prepare you so when you step over into heaven, it will be just such a small step. It will be like Enoch who walked with God and one day he appeared in heaven. I love it that the Holy Spirit's persistent because some days I give up. I've had enough. I can't do it. It's all too hard. I know you never think like that, of course. I've got too much baggage in my life, too many strongholds, too many strange thoughts. If only you could leave a day in my head. But he's persistent. And I wake up the next day and all of a sudden I feel this fire in my bones. And I'm excited again about the church and about the possibilities and about the kingdom. Because the Holy Spirit's persistent. He'll keep knocking on the door. You are here today because he's persistent. He will transform you. So have you got one, John 2? I write to you little children. There's nothing wrong with being a little child. Because we enter the kingdom as a child. But there's something wrong if you're a little child and you've been in the kingdom for 40 years. You've had, you haven't had 40 years of experience. You've had one year of experience 40 times. <laughs> I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for that. How many have been forgiven? I write to you, fathers, because you know who, who he is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. Children, fathers, young men. Let's continue. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So children, they know their father, and they are forgiven. Amen? Amen. Young men have overcome the wicked one. They are strong. And the word of God abides in them. That's called progression. Children are forgiven. They're going to heaven. And that's about it. It's like a baby. Sits in your house. Eats your food. And that's about all it does. And it makes you happy. But a young man progresses from childhood. Now he's, he's learnt. That he's an overcomer, he's strong, he's powerful. He's engaged with the enemy and defeated him. Then his fathers, who know the eternal one. To me, that's the next progression where we begin to understand the heart of the father. We begin to see all of creation, the big plan, the big picture. Son's about personal victory, overcoming, getting your own breakthrough. But there's still a degree of selfishness and self-centeredness there. Fathers step back and they begin to see the bigger picture. They begin to partner with the kingdom, with the Father. Is that making sense? There's progression and right through the Bible, you hear us preach here that there is there's a cycle. I write about, about this in the Gospel according to Nava. There is a cycle, there is a progression, there are layers right through the kingdom. And God's the same God in all those cycles, but he wants us to go on to maturity, 30, 60, 100 fold, good, pleasing, perfect will. How many times do we have to see it throughout the Bible that God is expecting his people to mature from children to sons to fathers? Are you getting this? Ask, seek, knock, weigh the truth, the life, the outer court. The holy place, 
the Holy of Holies. How many times we need to see it through Scripture that there is a progression that God is expecting all of his people. There's a highway. There is a, we are pilgrims going towards a place of the fullness of Christ. Let us progress in our walk in the Lord. Yeah? In the outer court, as children, the whole focus is peace with God. We gaze on his sacrifice and we ask, Jesus, forgive me. It's all about him. We do nothing. We disappear. It's like children. They do nothing. And it's all about the sacrifice and the love of the parent. The parents don't care because they love their children. And they know their children uh, just in real sense. They just uh, eat up all their resources. It's the way it goes. But because of love, it is a joy. And in this first stage, we ask and we receive. We receive, we receive. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. The second stage is young men, where we begin to overcome the evil one. And we overcome the evil one because we begin to discover who we are. You can't overcome the evil one until you know who you are. It's your identity that causes you to overcome him. That's why the evil one attacked Jesus in the wilderness. And he attacked his identity. How did Jesus overcome the evil one? By knowing his identity. And in this second level, we become sons who know who we are, who become strong in the word. We begin to see what God sees when he sees us. How do you see me, Lord? When you look at me, what is it that you see? We're not defined by what others see, by what we see, by what the devil sees. But in this second level, as sons, we begin to see what God sees. And that is what causes us to overcome. We overcome the enemy because we now have authority. And authority comes through being who we are. It is genuineness. See, when you're not genuine, when you don't know who you are, when you're living out another life, there's no authority. Authority comes from being who you truly are. Is that making sense? So if I live somebody else's identity, somebody else's life, there's no authority there. And that's a challenge for parents. I find this incredibly challenging. I want to live my children's life for them. You ask them. We sit around the table, you'll be a doctor, you'll be a dentist, you'll be a lawyer, you'll be this, you'll be that. And, and, and part of that's good because we want the best for our kids. We want to make sure that they excel, that they go further than us. But we must be careful that we don't live out our personalities, our hopes, our dreams through them. Because authority for them comes in finding out what God's called them to be and living in that. Mm-hmm. Young men. See, this is the area where God transforms our personality, where we begin to overcome the enemy because we know who we are. I said to you a number of weeks ago, what God doesn't know doesn't exist. That is an amazing thought to have. What God doesn't know about you doesn't exist in his mind. And it shall be burnt by fire. I'm in the course of writing my third book, and I'll give you a little excerpt of that. And this is what it says. It's called The Secret Place, the book's called. And it says, what God doesn't know doesn't exist. If you believe or live out something about yourself that is not in God's image, then that's a problem. For it doesn't exist in his mind. Don't mind the grammar, because it will be corrected. (laughs) You're the creator of this and not God. When you translate to heaven... And the fire examines you. Everything that's not of him or he doesn't know about you will be burnt up. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, by the way. Let's make the fire in our life small. Enoch walked with God in such authenticity, he was able to step into heaven without any judgment. See, that's what the judgment about is in heaven. It's it's breaking away every lie and deception you had about yourself. It's not God saying, you're a naughty boy. You're a naughty girl. It's breaking the lies that you've believed about yourself. Judgment is breaking off lies and bringing truth. 
The whole thing about the holy place was entering into a realm of higher truth about who you are. See, in the outer court, there's truth about that you're loved by him and forgiven. In the holy place, you come into a higher level of truth where you see what he sees about you. And judgment breaks away all the lies that you've accumulated. Let me tell you something. We all have owned lies about ourselves that don't belong. And God says they have to go. And sons learn to overcome the evil one because they've embraced the word. The word of God abides in you. What's the word? It's truth. It's truth. And the more truth we have about God and about ourselves, the greater degree that we overcome the enemy. Instead of focusing on binding demons and breaking strongholds, focus on embracing truth. Maybe that's what will bring forth the rapture. There will be a perfected bride whose earthly image bears the true resemblance of heaven's image. And that's what I believe. When the bride, each one of us, takes on our true identity, then the Father will say, bring him on home. That's what he's doing. And in the Holy of Holies, so we had all these different levels, the outer court, the holy place, the Holy of Holies is a place where we begin to understand what's on God's heart for the nations. Ask, seek, knock. We ask for salvation. We seek who we are and who he is, personal transformation, and we knock. We begin to wage war against all the plans of the enemy. And I was saying to Karen about this, that where the church, the body of Christ is at, is I believe in my heart, you may disagree, but I believe we're not even ready to be fathers yet. I'm talking about the global church, because we're wrestling between children and sonship. We're, beginning to, we're trying to work out who we truly are, because until we know that, we're not really re- ready to fight a true war. Because the wrestling requires... The enemy coming against us, onslaught, days where it feels like that the heavens are like brass, that we pray and our prayers bounce off the, off the roof. And we think to ourselves, God is not heard. Daniel prayed, as it were, for weeks while there was a war going on that he wasn't aware of, but he continued to pray because he knew he was called and loved by God. And when we go through this stage of sonship and identity, we can pray to the Father and have no apparent response and know that he's heard us. So I can ring my son when he goes to America and he doesn't return my call because he's busy (laughs) or his phone's turned off and I don't walk away thinking he doesn't love me anymore. Because we have a relationship built over time that I know that I know that we're one. And delays and disappointments and, and, and silence doesn't stop us progressing. Amen. Are you getting this? Yes. To 1 John 2.12. You still got that? Yeah. I write to you little children. I'm just going to attack this from all different angles. Because your sins are forgiven. And as John writes this epistle, it's, I don't know if you've read 1 John, but it's a little bit confusing. Has anyone ever got to 1 John yet? It's one of those things that if you read it with a religious mindset, you'll go crazy. Because it looks like God's put a whole lot of rules and regulations before he'll love you. And the first thing that children have to understand, according to John, is that we are called to receive by faith the love of God towards us unconditionally. And I listen to the words that come out of Christians' mouths and I hear that they don't truly understand that. They don't understand that they're loved unconditionally and they are blessed unconditionally. See, in the New Covenant, the curse was broken and God said, all my children are now blessed. And yet I hear People say, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you give, you'll be blessed. If you love others, you'll be blessed. That's not the Father. That's not what John is writing here. He's writing to children to get them established first and foremost in this revelation that you ask by faith the Father and he will give you unconditional love and blessing for the rest of your life. 
Listen to 1 John 2, 4. This is what I mean by confusing to the religious mind. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. See, my religious mindset would say, oh, I've broken so many commands. I'm a liar and I'm not born again. There must be something wrong with me. Whoever keeps his word, verse 5, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Well, I don't keep his word either. I break it so many times. So maybe, maybe the love of God's not perfected in me. Maybe he doesn't love me. By this we know who, that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk like he walks. Well, that's not me either. I don't walk like he walks. And as I used to read through one, John, it would depress me because I'd realize all the, all the things I haven't done to measure up to be a child of God. But then I began to realize the commands of God aren't, aren't lists of things that we have to do to get God to love us. The commands of God are signposts that we understand that we are loved by God. If a son is loved by a father but doesn't believe it, is he still yet loved by the father? Is it still true? You may know people that their sons that no matter what the father's done to bless them, love them, shower them, the son still doesn't believe he's loved. How can it be in a big family or a small family, that one child can walk. They've both been treated equally in the mind of the father. And you have to treat children differently to treat them equally. But in the mind of the father, he loves them both. How can one child walk off and believe that he's not loved and yet the other child spends all his life believing he's loved? Children must get a revelation that they are unconditionally loved, forgiven, and blessed by the Father. This is our starting point if we're going to rule over nations. The son that believes he's loved by the Father will be the one that has the fruit of a loved life. This is what John is saying. If you truly believe I, that Father loves you, you will live like Jesus because he displayed a holy life because he was rooted in love. He was assured of his love and out of that flowed his desire to please the Father. Here's a thought. Father's love tells me that I am blessed and giving is how blessed people live. To not give is to live believing that you're not blessed. Should I say that again? Yeah. Father's love tells me that I, Andrew McGrath, are incredibly blessed. And the command to give is a signpost to tell me whether I believe that I'm blessed. Yeah. See, the people that don't give are those that are unbelievers. They don't believe they're blessed. And the reason they don't walk in the blessing is not because they're not blessed, it's because they don't give. And the reason they don't give is because they don't believe they're blessed. So they're all blessed, but your unbelief negates the blessing. Like a son who doesn't believe he's loved, even though his father loves him so much, that unbelief in his heart will repel the fruit of love in his life. He will not be able to receive love or give love because of his unbelief. It's the same with giving. All those that complain about giving and tithing and, and being generous are those that don't believe they're blessed. Because if you believe you're blessed, you'll give. So we get grounded in this revelation of a child. I am forgiven, blessed, loved. Do you truly believe that today? Don't answer that. Because the evidence that you truly believe that will be in the fruit that is manifested in your life. If you believed you're loved, you'll love. If you believe you're forgiven, you will forgive. So that's where we can begin to understand even these weird, in my mind, quotes of Jesus. If you don't forgive, Father won't forgive you. 
Because it's all tied in. What you don't believe, if you don't receive the forgiveness of God, you won't be able to forgive others and you won't be able to receive forgiveness. It's all tied in. You need to receive today, Father's unconditional love, blessing and forgiveness and then it begins to flow. And all the commands of God are literally signposts to tell you whether you truly believe what you say you believe. Because it's so easy to say, I, I believe I'm blessed, forgiven, loved. So then the Bible says, okay, these are the marks of those that believe they're blessed, loved, and forgiven. Because it's so easy to live in deception. It's so easy to say, oh, yes, I believe that. So then we open our Bible and it says, this is how a blessed person lives. Oh. Oh. So instead of struggling to do that, I feel like oh, that's not in my heart. I go back and say, God, teach me again what it means when you say that I'm blessed. And when I get a revelation of that, blessing and giving automatically flows. Are you getting this? And this is how John writes his epistle. He starts off with children. Get it deep inside your heart. You are blessed and loved and forgiven unconditionally forever. Amen. Jesus said, if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm an amazing dad. You should all say that about yourself if you're a dad. And I, I love to bless my kids and shower them with love and attention and believing them. But... There's, so, there's flaws about me. I'm an earthly man. He says, even in your best, that's nothing compared to your heavenly Father. Perfect. Always loving. Always forgiving. Blessed you. So we, we sit at this station of childhood until we get it inside our hearts. I am blessed, loved, and forgiven. You can't overcome the enemy as a son if you've not been established as a child. Intercessors, spiritual warfare, the enemy will blow you out of the water if you haven't established this basic fundamental truth that you're loved, blessed and forgiven as a child. Then he writes the young man and he's saying every New Testament believer you are called to a greater level of the fullness of God. It's not enough just to be children who are loved, forgiven, and blessed. You must go on. And I'm here to tell you, to point my little bony finger at you and say by the Spirit of God, God is saying to you today, you must progress. You must progress. It's like a father. You know, it's nice when your kid's one and two and, and dribbling on the chair and kicking its food all over the table. But when, when they're 13 and 14 and 15, it's no longer nice. You can't take them out in public. And it's the same in the kingdom that God, God wants us. He deeply desires that we would fulfill his heart's desire. That some of these fundamental childish issues of the soul would be dealt with so we could move on to fathering with him over nations. So we say, give us the nations. Let me tell you, that is a joke if you're a child. God doesn't put the key to nations in the hand of a child. He'll still love you, forgive you, bless you. But you won't rule over nations. I'm sorry. It's just dreaming. It's daydreaming. There's a lot of daydreamers in the kingdom. Oh, take the nations. Learn to take yourself first. <laughs> Learn to get up in the morning with, with cheerfulness and joy. Begin to see who, and this is not to put you down, it's, just, it's called maturity in the kingdom. Children, young men, fathers. And they're all valid. And God's not with a stick saying, right, yeah, you're not. He's going to nurture you through those very distinct things. But He wants you to progress. You may have been a child now for 30 years, it's not too late to be a son and a father. For all these levels are tied to one thing. It's called obedience. I write to you, sons, because you've known him who is from the... Sorry, you have overcome the wicked one. I've been reading through the Gospels and it's interesting how Jesus relates to his disciples as against the crowd. 
In fact, it seems a little unfair. I was reading the other day in one, sorry, Matthew 9, 2. You may have read this story where they bring a paralyzed man to Jesus on a mat. Four men bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. And when they bring this man to Jesus, Jesus sees their faith and says, be of good cheer, you're forgiven and healed. So get this, they bring the man to Jesus. There, Jesus, here's our problem. We can't heal him. He needs to be healed. Jesus said, thank you for bringing him. Be of good cheer. I see your faith here. I see your faith. Be healed. Did you get that? Matthew 8, 23. Jesus is in a boat, asleep. His disciples come to him. Four men have just come to him, or will come to him, Matthew 9, and Jesus rewards their faith. He says, I see your faith. The disciples come to him in a boat and say, Jesus, save us. Jesus goes, Oh, ye of little faith. Huh? You reward people that come to you. But now he's chastising people coming to him. Are you getting this? Because there's a stage of childhood where we come to him, save us and we will be saved. You are our deliverer. And Jesus rewards that. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will bless you, heal you, save you. Let me be your deliverer. It's valid. And there is faith when a child comes to him. He rewards that. But then one day you go from childhood to sonship and you come to him like a child and he rebukes you. And he says, where is your faith? <laughs> but oh, this is how I've always approached you. I come to you, you bail me out. You're the deliverer. He says, no more. That's it. It's all over, Red Rover. You're going to have to grow up. You're going to have to be a son. You're going to have to learn how to face the enemy, face the storm, and rebuke it in Jesus' name because I won't speak on your behalf. Amen. You must speak. And when heaven goes silent, it's a cue that you need to get up and exercise authority. Sonship. This is what John's on about. Children, sons, fathers. Here, here's a thought. The language of dependency on Jesus is often a veil for unbelief and immaturity. Jesus, help me, save me. It sounds pious and holy, but at the root of it, you've been long enough in the kingdom to realize that you should be exercising your faith. It sounds religious, and oh, I depend on him, all of him and none of me. And it doesn't cut it anymore. It's still the same Jesus. See, this is what we don't realize. When you go into the tabernacle, the entry points into the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies gets progressively higher and higher. And in fact, when you get into the Holy of Holies, there's only one way through the door, and that is to be spiritually transported, for there is no door. Yeah. And so every time we progress with God, it feels like he's shifting, but actually what it is, we are gaining a higher revelation of who he is. There's a lot of Christians sucking on their thumb who have a God who bails them out and delivers them. But God wants to shift that, upgrade your thinking, change the way you see. He's not coming back for children. He's coming back for sons and fathers. He doesn't want a child bride. Imagine Jesus walking down the aisle with like a two-year-old. No, that should be a page boy. That's not... It's like... It's a funny picture, but that, that's what the kingdom's like. Children, sons... Fathers, is this getting in? The language of dependency is often really, in in, when we dig down, unbelief and immaturity. Bail me out. Where are you? Do something about it. And I've found when I get stuck in my walk with the Lord, it's because he's wanting to upgrade me. 
And when things go quiet and dull and days where it seems like nothing's working and where are you, God? It's because he's wanting to upgrade my maturity, upgrade my sonship, upgrade me into fatherhood. And when God wants to do something new, it's interesting in the Bible that often he brought through new things through the barren womb of a woman. A woman in Scripture is a picture of the soul. Man is a picture of the spirit. That's why, remember, Jesus, the Father, never healed a woman of blindness in any of the Scripture, and he never heals a man of barrenness. Because the seed from God comes through your spirit, and the soul is what takes that seed, nurtures it, and develops it. So the blockage, the areas where we need to shift, always happen in the realm of the soul, in our personality, the way we think, choose, and feel. So when God wants to upgrade you, he's going to come into the barrenness of your soul in your womb and do a work there. Think of the barren women in the Bible. Sarah, she comes to a place of barrenness. She needs a breakthrough. She gives birth to Isaac, the spirit of sonship. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. A whole generation that can't hear the voice of God. Now Samuel knows how to hear the voice of the Lord and not one word that he speaks drops to the ground. Rebecca, Rachel, Elizabeth gives birth. She's barren. She gives birth to John the Baptist. A forerunner, a pioneer. That's all very well, but so what do I do when I get into that place where my soul has come to a place where I need an upgrade, I need a transition from childhood to sonship to fatherhood. How do I bring that shift in my soul? And I find that myself, I get to a place where I feel like I'm stuck. Does anyone else feel like that? And this is the key as we draw this to a close of transitioning from sons, from children to sons. Do you remember Mark 2.22? Jesus says, transitioning is like a wine and a wineskin. He says, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin because it'd blow it up, it'd tear, patch it up and tear. Now new wine must come into a new wineskin. So when God upgrades our thinking, when our soul has come to a place where it's barren, it needs an upgrade, it needs to receive a fresh deposit from the Spirit into us. We feel like we're barren, we need to move on. Jesus gives us a key here. And I want to share this with you before we finish. A wineskin first has to be emptied of all the old wine. And we go through that, we go through seasons where what we've known and tried and it's worked as a child no longer works. It's like the, the disciples who are rebuked for their unbelief. It's like the wine of their childhood had been poured out and now it's empty. And you know in your heart you are going through a stage called transition. That's why many in the body of Christ start to see signs of transition. They see numbers and 11-11 and everywhere they go there's these little signs. If you're open to the Spirit, God's saying... I'm preparing you for an upgrade. I'm transitioning you. If you've got eyes to see, this stirring that is going on, it's not because I'm distant or your life with me is not working. I'm upgrading you. Oh, that's what it was. So we're emptied of all this wine and we're ready for change. Is there anyone here today? And then the wineskin needs to be placed in water for a long time. I've got this cloth at home. I don't know what it's called, but it's one of those cloths that you clean stuff with because I'm, you know, I'm right into cleaning. <laughs> and you put water on it and it just bounces off it. And you pour water on it and it's just like, huh? And then you squeeze it and you put more water in it, you push it down and it's still dry. And you keep working on it. And that's how often we are. It's like the water's coming on, but nothing's 
penetrating. It's dry. It's brittle. It's resisting. And Jesus is saying, when you get to this stage where you're ready for an upgrade, don't try and figure out what the upgrade is, what God's doing, what your future is. There's one thing you should be doing, immersing yourself in the word day and night. And, and what happens as you do that, often it will feel like water bouncing off. You read, it's like, huh, just read 10 chapters and I don't even know what I read. Maybe that's not you. But it's because you're transitioning. And you keep immersing and immersing and immersing because something is going to come from the realm of the spirit and impregnate your soul. That's what you're doing. That's, that word is a seed. You are stimulating the spirit realm for something to get into your barren womb and bring it to life, to bring you an upgrade. And what most Christians do in that transition period, that shaking, stirring, that 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 awful time where it feels like, where is God? They begin to read, read the newspaper. They're looking at this. They're asking people. They're looking everywhere except where they will be. I don't want to be rude here, but there's only one way to get pregnant. It's not reading magazines. It's hopping into bed with your wife. And in the spirit realm, I'm being serious here, in the spirit realm, we are trying to get an upgrade without the sperm of God. It's called the Word of God. And as we commune with Him and, and, and immerse ourselves in the Word, all of a sudden, something comes and brings an upgrade. Yeah. What God is doing, He's trying to upgrade your spiritual insight into who He is and who you are. And we immerse, and we immerse, and we immerse. And I'm not just talking about one chapter here. or a little. I'm talking about day and night as much as you can, especially in those seasons of transition, preparing yourselves because you've been barren for an implant of the Word of God. It's going to upgrade you from children to sons to fathers. What's the difference between the three? Sons have been implanted by the seed of sonship. Now they're a son. Can't get any other way. So we let the word nurture us. The water comes on the wineskin and then they would come and they would massage oil and make it soft again. It's a picture of, as we listen to the word, the Holy Spirit comes and there's an upgrade of anointing and authority in our life. That skin is now supple and it's able to be stretched and enlarged and reshaped from a child to a son. He stretches us. This is what Isaiah 54 says. Sing, O barren woman. You have not born. For more are the children of the desolate woman than the children of the married woman. This barren woman, she's, she's meditating on the Lord and she gets a revelation from heaven that God can do more in me than in the married woman because I am a woman of promise. She gets the promise of the Lord. She meditates on the word and that seed comes and all of a sudden it goes on to say, now enlarge. Enlarge, stretch. For more of the children of the desolate woman. And this is what happens in the transition period as we wait upon the Lord and read his word. And some of you will say, well, I don't understand it. Let me tell you something. It is a spiritual transaction. If you will read the word even when you don't understand it and you begin to pray in the spirit, God, open my eyes to see. Begin in the gospels and the psalms and the epistles. And, and just read, 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 and all of a sudden, the lights will come on. Yes. Yep. This is not a novel. This is interacting in a personal, living relationship with God himself through his word. It will come inside you. A promise will go off. The presence of God will come. He will stretch you from a child to a son. Yes. Children, sonship, fathering. An upgrade, transition. There is, see, it's one thing to talk about transition, it's another thing to understand how it occurs. Transition only occurs by the word of the Lord 
and the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to increase us where we are barren. Children, sons, fathers. Holy Spirit is saying, progress, grow, mature. Let me do something within you. So why don't you lift your hands today? Holy Spirit wants to bring an upgrade for you. Whatever level that you're at, thank the Lord. Thank you that I'm a child. Thank you I know that I'm forgiven, loved and blessed. None of these levels are put down. But it is an indication that that's where I am, but God wants me to progress. Let us go on. Let us go on. Don't get settled. And as I was preparing this, I sense in my heart that there's God's going to light a fresh desire to be impregnated by his word inside of you. He's going to give you upgrades. Upgrades, upgrades, upgrades. And as you read the word, things are going to come alive inside you. He's going to bring you from childhood to sonship. You're going to discover who you truly are and who he is. You're going to see how to gain authority over the enemy. He's going to reshape you from a child to a son. Each of these stages requires a bigger body, a bigger intellect, a bigger understanding in the spirit. Bigger comprehension of the kingdom, perspective of the Father. Each of these stages cause us to look out more and more and more. So, Father, I ask, let this word that's being spoken impregnate every heart right now. Lord, this is a work of your Spirit. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, quicken your word in the hearts of people right now. I thank you the walls have been broken today strongholds are being pulled down every resistance to progression has been broken and people are receiving upgrades in the spirit right now they're going on to greater levels of maturity and fruitfulness and insight and understanding about the kingdom they're going from childhood to sonship to fathering there is coming radical shifts i see people's personalities being radically altered into, into, into the trueness of who they are. No longer will that you be intimidated by what others think about you, family members. Some of you have, have been squashed because of other people's opinion about you. God's setting you free today. He's bringing an upgrade to your life so you will know who you truly are and you will walk in great authority today. Thank you, Father. Release your word into their hearts today. Bring fresh desire. Pour out the water of your word to bring softness to their heart so you can apply the oil of your spirit and enlarge them today. Enlarge them, enlarge them, enlarge them, I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Ghost. So why don't you ask him now to enlarge you, to upgrade you. Talk to him now. He hears every word that comes from your heart. Tell him today. Oh God, increase me, increase me, increase me, Lord. Increase, 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 increase. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 